Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of History Remastered. Today we're going to be talking about the history of Edward IV and his marriage to Elizabeth Woodville. So this is set in the Wars of the Roses, which if you know it or not, it doesn't matter, but it's basically a civil war in England between the houses of York and Lancaster as they fight for the English throne. You might know this history from things you've seen on TV or you've read. Programmes like The White Queen is quite a popular one. And in these popular representations of this period of history and this marriage between Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville, often the focus is very much on Elizabeth herself. And the marriage which happens in 1461, that's often taken as the start point to tell the story of how Edward went on to lose his throne in 1470. And this topic that I'm talking about today, it's very much inspired by a history unit which I took on my degree course. The unit was run by Dr John Reeks and it was called Kingship in Crisis and it was all about the history of the Wars of the Roses and 15th century kingship. So he definitely deserves a shout out for that. Not that he'd ever hear this episode, but just in case. And this is also inspired by the work of my friend who is studying this topic for her dissertation and knows a lot more detail about this history than I do. You can probably hear her laughing in the background. But with that said, let's get started on the episode. So everyone thinks that the marriage between Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville is what caused the downfall of Edward IV in 1470 when he lost his throne as he was deposed in a rebellion. He'd claimed the throne back in 1461 and that's when he married Elizabeth Woodville. But by the time of 1470, you get Warwick the Kingmaker, who's a noble at this time, he overthrows Edward. And I'll go into that a lot more later. But everyone basically thinks that the marriage is what caused it. And there's three kind of main reasons for this line of thought. So first of all, you've got Elizabeth herself. So she comes from a lower gentry family at the time. She's not part of the high nobility. She's low status and she's also a widow. She's got two children from a former marriage. So for example, her dad is Sir Richard Woodville. He's part of the gentry. He's not a noble. He married above his station himself. So the idea that she, as a low-status gentry woman, is marrying the King of England, that's quite controversial at the time. And we can see that in sources like an Italian ambassador called Dominic Mancini. He described at the time that Edward's own brother, that's the Duke of Clarence, was apparently sorely displeased by the marriage. And this is a quote, he made a bitter and public denunciation of Elizabeth's obscure family. Cecily Neville, who is Edward IV's mother, she was willing to say that he was actually a product of adultery to try and make Edward illegitimate so that he couldn't be king because she was so displeased with his marriage. So there's a lot of controversy around her status. And the second key reason that we see her marriage being linked to the downfall of Edward IV is not just that she's unpopular, but when she came to court after her marriage, she brought with her loads of relatives who wanted positions in the court. By 1466, so bearing in mind that they married in 1461, five of her sisters, her eldest son, and one of her brothers, 
had all been married into the baronage. And these are people, like I've been saying, who are of gentry status. They're not equal in social terms to be marrying these people. We've got another example where Elizabeth actually paid 4,000 marks to break up an engagement between the Duchess of Exeter and George Neville so that her own son, Thomas Gray, could marry into the Dukedom of Exeter. And a lot of these relatives had actually supported the Lancastrians, the opposing house to the House of York, in previous battles in the Wars of the Roses. So the relatives, they're unpopular too, it's not just Elizabeth. And this has been directly linked to Edward's fall, because the third reason is that this marriage has been seen as the spark that turned Warwick, the kingmaker, away from Edward. Warwick was the man who helped Edward claim the throne. He helped Edward win it in battle, and Warwick, who will eventually overthrow Edward in 1470. You've got chronicles like the Crowland Chronicle, who said that Warwick was greatly displeased with the king, and after that rose great discontent ever more and more between the king and him. That's a direct quote from the chronicle there. And we've got another one where in Gregory's chronicle, it says, now take heed what love may do. So you get this warning in contemporary literature in the 15th century against the marriage. They think it's a bad idea and they are the ones which are connecting the marriage to the fall of Edward IV. And so across these three factors, you get the sense that not only is Elizabeth unpopular, her family is unpopular, their place in politics is unpopular, and it's actively causing key political figures like the Earl of Warwick to turn away from the king, and he loses support in that. There's a really great quote from Polydor Virgil, who was writing about a century after, but he kind of summed up how the marriage had been understood by a lot of people at the time. And he said that it was led by blind affection and not by rule of reason. And that's true, this marriage didn't really make any political sense for Edward as a new king. The Privy Council held the opinion that Edward must surely be aware that this wife wasn't suitable for him as King of England. And so popular history, like the White Queen, which has focused so much on Elizabeth, it's fueled these kinds of narratives that her and her marriage and her place in politics is what brought about the downfall of Edward IV. One of the trailers for The White Queen, actually, the TV show, advertised itself as presenting the war which won't be won on the battlefield. It's all about Elizabeth. But I want to argue that actually all of these things, all of these factors about Elizabeth and why she was so unpopular, they're part of a much wider structural problem in Edward IV's kingship. And this is ultimately what causes his downfall. It's not the marriage itself. And this is actually generally agreed upon in recent historical scholarship. This is the kind of thing which has been talked about by historians working in the academy, in universities, but it's not translating across all the time into public history. And that's what I really want to do today. So what I'm saying is that it's all about the nature of his rule. He comes to power in 1461 when he wins the crown on the battlefield. He wins at the Battle of Mortimer's Cross, on 2nd of February, and then he secures his victory with the Battle of Towton. He's overthrown Henry VI, who's a Lancastrian. Henry VI's wife and his heir, they end up fleeing to Scotland. So he's really secured the crown for himself at this time. And he's helped in all of these military wins by Warwick, the kingmaker. So that's the Earl of Warwick, who's a nobleman 
as I've been saying, who supported Edward throughout this. He's helping him with resources, with military strategy, and Edward really, really relies on him. At this point, Edward's 19 and Warwick is 32. They're cousins, but Edward sees Warwick as a kind of father figure. And so Warwick does have some control over Edward to an extent. They're working together to put him on the throne, but Warwick has some authority in their relationship. Once Edward has got the throne, then his supporter in battle, Warwick, becomes his supporter in government. But other than Warwick, who he's relied on a lot to claim the crown, he doesn't have many other supporters. He's got a really narrow factional power base at this time. And as a king in the 15th century, that's kind of just not going to cut it. You need to have lots of nobles who each control areas of the kingdom for you as the king. They're kind of looking after the people on your behalf. There's this kind of delegation of power in the 15th century in terms of kingship. So Edward has to expand his power base from just this kind of military faction, which is mainly constituted by Warwick, really, to having this wider group of nobles who can support him as a ruling king. Warwick loses some influence in this because Edward is creating a lot of new nobles and doesn't need to rely on Warwick quite as much. So Warwick becomes a lot more dispensable for Edward. And this is not caused by the marriage, as a lot of people have actually argued and we've seen in public history. The marriage and Warwick's loss of influence with the creation of these new nobles, they're all symptoms of the process of an expanding power base. They don't come from the marriage itself. So Warwick's unhappy. And eventually in 1468, and then again in 1470, Warwick rebels against Edward in 1470, actually overthrowing Edward from the throne, largely because Warwick has lost a lot of influence. He doesn't have the power which he thought he would get. He had created Edward's success in battle. He's put him on the throne and now Warwick has stopped profiting from it. And this is something which historians like Christine Carpenter have argued. Then when Edward actually loses his throne, in 1470, he's become a victim of his own success. He claimed the throne on the basis of a military win with a small military faction. But because of the necessities of being a king, he's had to expand his power base. And this upsets Warwick, who then ultimately overthrows him. The marriage has a part to play in this process, but it's not the causing factor. And in all of this, Elizabeth becomes a kind of scapegoat. In the 15th century, as a noble, you can't actively go against and challenge your king. And so Elizabeth becomes a focal point for Warwick's resentment. And it kind of gives him a reason to challenge Edward when actually it's about a much wider issue of him losing power. So when you're seeing popular history, which is about Elizabeth Woodville's marriage, and it's connected to Edward IV's fall from power, what we need to remember is that actually Edward IV failed as a king due to the structural problems in the power base that he created when he actually took the throne. Ultimately, because he's a usurper, he's unstable from the start. So although this history might seem kind of irrelevant, a bit abstract and obscure, it's important because we engage with representations of this history, like in The White Queen, and there's loads of books written about the period as well. But often, the history is seen through the lens of Elizabeth Woodville, She's the central figure when actually the focus needs to shift to understand the political frameworks which her marriage existed within.
This issue isn't just limited to the case of Elizabeth Woodville and Edward IV as well, though. You've got other examples of this sort of blame the woman history with people like Margaret of Anjou. She's a queen in the same period, actually, and she gets a lot of hate for kind of doing what's considered a man's role and leading on behalf of her husband, Henry VI. She's been called quite popularly by Shakespeare, the she-wolf of France. And so here again, you're getting this focus on the woman as a scapegoat for wider political issues. And so the take-home message, I think, from this podcast episode is just to be a bit wary with the public history that you consume, which focuses all on one central character. Sometimes their context needs to be more widely considered. And so I'll just quickly finish on a quote from the trailer for the White Queen TV series, which says, this is what happens when you put the devil on the throne of England. And I think that's really representative because that's what we want to challenge. We need to recognise the wider issues which are connected to that throne of England. And it's not just about blaming this devilish woman who sat on the throne. Thank you very much for listening. If you made it all the way to the end, I hope you did. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just wanted to say again, a massive thank you to my friend, Olivia Burnside. Quick shout out for you, who helped me write this podcast episode and do a lot of the research for it. And if you enjoyed it, as always, if you can, give us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can give me any feedback, give me any ideas on the Instagram for the podcast, which is at History Remastered Pod. If you want to see any behind the scenes footage, go there as well. There'll be new content coming up soon. We've actually got a new social media coordinator for the account. So it's all very exciting. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye.